Hi everyone, on this edition of Scouting for Growth, I will be joined by Dr. Avi Barak, co-founder and CEO of Previsico, and Jonathan Jackson, co-founder and CEO of Previsico. Previsico is a surface water flood forecasting specialist, enabling people and organizations to minimize the impact of flooding. Flooding cost the global economy more than 82 billion dollars in 2021, accounting for nearly a third of all losses from natural catastrophes. And this is reported by Swiss Re Institute in a 2022 study. Estimates from Statista shows that 29 million people were affected by flooding in 2021. And we believe this number will increase in 2022. Flooding is the second largest weather-related perils after droughts. During the course of the podcast, Avi, Jonathan, and I discussed a number of topics. Flooding and the difference between natural hazard and man-made disasters. Previsico's four-step method to reduce flood risk. Build back better and why we ought to protect the small and medium-sized business from flooding. Protect predict and prevent, and top tips to reduce the risk of flood. And if you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and comment as well as leave me a little message as to what else you want to listen to. So let's dive in. Good morning, Avi and Jonathan. Welcome to Scouting for Growth. How are you doing this morning? Very good indeed. Good to see you again, Sabine. Great good, to see you, Jonathan. Hi, Avi. So the way I start the podcast is getting to know you a little bit better. So I'll start with you, Jonathan. So can you tell us who you are, what you do every day as a CEO of Provisical, and what got you to what you do today? <laughs> So a lot there, Sabine, but anyway, I'll try and unpack it all. So certainly, yeah, so um, Jonathan Jackson, I'm the CEO of Provisico, uh, and my role is uh, is like most CEOs of, a, of a, an early stage business, uh, kind of jack of all trades, get involved in, 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 in lots of different things. Um, my background is um, I'm, I'm a commercial uh, individual, so I come as a as a as a sort of a, a, a seasoned entrepreneur is a, one way to look at it. This is my full startup business, so uh, I tend to find uh, myself getting uh, pretty much focused around uh, driving the uh, the sales side of things and getting the the business uh, really uh, uh, really moving forward uh, in terms of uh, the structures and the processes. Uh, and, and the and the team in place, um, you know, we're a little bit different because we're a spin out from a university, which is uh, has some great advantages. And as much that uh, there's a lot of research work done behind the product, which uh, makes uh, starting a business an awful lot easier if you've got a product which is pretty much there, which we did, which is fantastic. Uh, but similarly, there's there's also the fact that you have to. Uh, you know, look at that that whole team piece, uh, and you know we were really lucky to get uh, uh, some great academics in both Abby and Dupun who who spun out uh, with the business from the university, 
And so, yeah, so yeah, that's, uh, I guess those, those are the main things that I'd say we focus on here. Thank you, Jonathan. Avi, I know you're a researcher, you have a PhD. So tell us who you are and how you use all this amazing brain of yours every day. <laughs> um, so yes, I, I did my PhD at Loughborough University and uh, working with Professor Yu on uh, kind of mostly flood information and how that can be used to help people on the ground um, be more resilient to flooding. And after after my PhD, carried on with some research, but quickly realized that the, the main technology that uh, Dupang was building, so he was leading a team of academics uh, to develop uh, a live flood forecasting technology, which can capture surface water flooding. Um, I was kind of involved in that project and I, I saw it had a lot of potential. And and so kind of after a kind of a, a few months after my PhD, realized that academia probably wasn't for me and also saw so much potential in the kind of technology we were building and felt that the, the only way to really get it to be used effectively on the ground was to create a, a spin-out company. And so what we started doing is kind of exploring the market and we explored quite a few different markets uh, kind of while we're still at the university on on which which market would be best to approach. Uh, there were so many different areas where early warnings for flood can benefit. So we, we realized there were quite a few different areas. There was a lot to still figure out, but it was certainly worth really uh, putting up, putting it all into it because we really felt that it could it could work really effectively. Um, and, and that's really where we met Jonathan, who we realized we also needed in the team um, to to help really uh, build build up a very successful business and and kind of take take the technology forward. Thank you. So you know, I was looking at some of the statistics which are there. So, for example, I dive into Statista, and Statista estimate that 29 million people were affected by flood in 2021. I guess we are going to get soon the 2022 numbers. We're just starting the year, and is the second largest weather-related uh, event right after drought. According to the research, they also say that it's the second largest cause of natural disaster after storm. And I think the estimate were around 75 billion USD in 2021. I checked one of the recent um, studies from Swiss Re, which estimated that to uh, 82 billion USD dollars in 2021. So my question for you is obviously flood risk. Is, is a method issue globally, right? When you look at weather events. So how are you approaching the problem and where are you starting affecting people and their lives by applying your technology? Who goes first? I was gonna say, okay. Abby, do you wanna take that or shall I? I'll, I'll, I'll have a first stab. Um, and so our, our approach uh, to, to this is is that flood risk is, is rising the, the uh, the, there's more extreme weather. There is the weather's more volatile. Uh, there's the climate change is driving heavier downpours, uh, particularly in the summer, and and um, long longer wetter winters. And so, in, in terms of the the hazard, though we know the hazard is rising, uh, and and the, there's a really really yeah really accurately come describe what the situation is but the, you said one word which i always have a pet peeve about which is the word natural disaster because we really strongly believe there's no such thing as a natural disaster there's natural hazards and then there are human disasters 
And what you can do, if you know where the hazard is going to be, and if you uh, are able to prepare for it effectively, it doesn't need to be a disaster. And so in order to reduce flood risk, we I think there are four, four main steps that we really encourage you take. Uh, step one is to firstly understand your risk. So there's a lot of really good risk modeling products already out there on the market. Um, then it's the second step is to then once you understand your risk to invest in the right resilience measures. That could be uh, taking flood defenses, could be setting up things like non-return valves. Um, and, and then the thirdly is uh, having a flood action plan. So knowing what to do when you're expecting a flood, moving stock, turning electricity off, who's in, who's responsible for that response. And finally, the most important one is uh, using an early warning system. And it, the early warning system is really part, the final part of the jigsaw in terms of building flood resilience. And if you take all those steps, you can substantially reduce the risk and hopefully prevent a disaster from ever occurring. And I, I, I certainly, I think we really strongly believe that if, if people are able to take those four steps ahead of an event and prepare for it effectively, we'll know, we'll, there'll never be a disaster. There'll only be natural hazards. And so that's kind of the, those four steps, that, that's where we feel there's such an opportunity to be taken to reduce risk. And there's, you know, the market, there's some really good risk products out there. There's a growing number of risk products out there. But I think the the, the, the both insurance market, but then also uh, corporates, councils, members of the public, there's, all, there's so much that we still have to do in terms of actually preparing for events. And so that's our focus. And I think it's important, right? I, I, the clarity of your definition between natural events or perils and man-made disasters, I think a very important one to, to, to actually acknowledge because we as people are doing a lot of things to affect um, the weather and the planet in some ways or shape. So Jonathan, when you look at what you are doing guys, and I, I get there are four steps into the process you're implementing. Can you go into deep, a little bit deeper? around how you start affecting people's life with Previsico's technology and uh, modeling capability and the insurance companies you're working with. Sure, yeah, and it's 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 one of these things which is uh, a case where if people are used to having flood uh, and, and, manage, and, and having to cope with flood, they tend to know what to do. And so we our solution is just a great, value add that we can bring to that situation so you know if you're living in uh say somewhere like um hebden bridge up in yorkshire which has suffered repeated floods uh poor people um you know they know that they need to have a, a flood plan uh, and they have to to uh, have these flood resilience measures uh, and then are looking for flood warnings and where they sit to today is that you know um when it comes to surface water flood you know that's where we can really add the value for them they're getting their environment agency flood warnings for for river flood and so by bringing provisico's warnings it gives them that extra layer of uh of of, of warning to help them therefore make sure that those plans are put into into action so as abby said you know there's resilience measures are often really simple things as well so just turning off your gas you're turning off your electricity turning off your water that alone can save a huge amount 
moving your car to a to a safer place, etc. So really, really simple stuff that makes a huge difference. Uh, and you know, as I say, people in those sort of communities, you know, where back in 2015 they would be closed down for maybe six months after a flood, they're now reopening after three days. It's That's a massive change, just a massive change because they understand what to do. So that's that's the best case scenario where where our warnings have have, have you know the maximum value, uh, and then when you look at other communities which are not used to flood, that's where it gets more challenging because if you get a warning, you've got to know what to do with the warning. So just saying to somebody, you know, there's a risk of flooding in three hours' time. You know, if people don't know what to do, then then they're probably not going to be able to do an awful lot about it. So I think what's really important is that the government now uh, as a result of cop uh, cop 26 uh, you know really made a big play around the fact that the uk government cannot defend the country against flood the country has to learn how to adapt to flood and adaptation means starting to take responsibility for flood plans flood resilience measures that's being backed up by the insurance industry making some really important moves in terms of build back better so where a property has been hit by flood, that that uh, that that homeowner will be uh, given up to ten thousand pounds additional funding by a number of insurers to help them put in flood resilience measures to protect against flood going forward. So all of those things are really important. And where you so the more we can educate people around what to do when they receive a flood warning, the actions they need to take, and how to respond to mitigate that loss. That's the that's the really key piece for us. So a lot of what we do right now, um, you know, we are working with the uh, organisations who are who are uh, knowledgeable about flood, who know that they have to have flood action plans, etc. And we're seeing some great great results with those uh, those organisations. Similarly, we're seeing great results with communities. So we work with a community called uh, Whaley Bridge up in Lancashire, and it's just wonderful, absolutely wonderful to see that. Uh, you know, from a, a community which in 2015 had 300 properties flood, now they're in a situation because uh, of our services that they are warned of flood and they've managed to prevent flood uh, hitting the village uh, uh, on, on, I think, seven or eight occasions now. Uh, and it's and it's a really simple thing in that particular instance. We we they have a culvert that goes through the village. And that culvert has a trash screen. And in the front of that, and that trash screen, what happens is it gets, as water comes down, lots of trash debris starts to build up, which is causing the flood. So what we have is in that particular instance is we use the Provisico sensor to help alert the flood warden. The flood warden comes down and she'll clear the trash from the screen and averts 100% of flood. It is, it is just a wonderful example of how you can help a community where the community understands and knows how to respond when they receive those warnings. Mm. So, Ivy, should people not live on floodplains? I mean, I, I heard what Jonathan just said, that at the end of the day, all of us need to start protecting ourselves around flooding. But the UK, for example, is an island, and I'm sure you guys are working with companies in the United Kingdom and overseas. And so my question to you is, should we stop living by floodplains and not have fancy houses by the sea? I think the, there's two parts to that question, which is, should we carry on building on floodplains and 
what do you do with the homes already on floodplains? And I think obviously there's two very different answers in those cases. I um, especially in yeah, my, my view has always been that we shouldn't be building on new developments on on floodplains, especially when we haven't fully addressed some of the the impact that flooding will have on those properties. So that sometimes new housing developments can be a bit short sighted. Uh, in areas where there's already a flood risk, obviously that that's where you have FEMA and in the US flood re in the UK uh, aiming to provide an, an, an affordable insurance for those. But again, that those are those schemes will eventually again they they will be phased out, and so um, that's where property level flood resilience is just so important. To, so people can when you know be, be prepared and take action when it does flood. So that that's particularly where you know the resilience measures can play such a big role um so i think that, that those are two really important areas but i think there's also a co common you know when, when flood flood plains often attract a lot of attention but again what we also know is in the uk one and three homes are at risk of surface water flooding uh, a very similar statistic in the us and and for those again, those aren't traditional floodplains. Those are just again streets all around the country. And so I think it's it's yes, it's about building on floodplains, but it's actually so much more than that. It's also about a bit about our mindset on how where how we understand where floods can occur, and then what we do to help people prepare for them. So I think there's a lot that can be done on the kind of engineering front on that, but then a lot more that then also has to be done on the the household level and the individual site level. And Sabine, what I'd just add into that as well is that, you know, it's fine. For, you know, Abby's Abby's answer is 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 absolutely you know uh, correct. But the fact is as well is that there is a huge amount of pressure around building prop building houses in this country, and you know, organisations. Um, what what's happening is is that you're getting councils etc. who are allowing. Plan, uh, planning to be given to uh, areas which are which are at risk of flood, and the actual the interesting thing is it almost becomes a, a bit of a, um, a a decision point for for the insurance industry in a way is that clearly people aren't going to want to have a house if they can't get insurance, uh, and so you know it's the insurer who actually has quite a say in whether that house uh, is considered to be at a, a flood risk which is reasonable. Because that's the other key part that's now coming out, which is at what point is is a, is being in a floodplain of such risk that it's uninsurable versus one where actually the insurers willing to take it. So, Avi, I, I really want to hear from you on the um, the need for surface water flooding capability. And before we go into that, I would like for everybody to understand what flooding means and the type of floodings that are, that are. And then you can actually explain to us what is your specific focus. So often we hear about the fact that there are river floods, we have coastal floods, storm surges, urban and inland floods, and flash floods. So tell us how you play in the flooding arena. Yeah, um, so I think that that's a really good question. One should have clarified earlier. Surface water flooding, uh, in essence, is, is flooding where uh, heavy rainfall overwhelms local drainage systems. And so it can happen anywhere. I think we've all seen it um, on roads. Um, 
you know, if you're driving around the country on a very wet day, you can see some some roads being overwhelmed. Um, and, and so uh, it, it can really happen in so many parts of the country. And it is, is very, very difficult to find anywhere in any country that is really immune to the risk. It, it does occur everywhere. And um, often, especially in, in kind of risk mapping exercises, small streams also kind of classified as part of the surface water risk. So when we look at river risk, uh, we're normally talking about the larger river systems. And so it's, again, it's one of those areas where it might not always be on the news because it is so patchy and occurs across the whole country, but it is the largest risk and does pose the largest impact. So following on to that, can you actually explain why companies now need to really understand how one move from protection to yep. prediction, to prevention, because you guys can combine device, data, and predictive analytics to actually prevent or at least create warnings so that people can take better decisions. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, and I think this is where there's some really good steps that have been taken in the last uh, few decades on uh, reducing flood risk from rivers and coastal flooding in, in many areas. And this has largely been due to an improvement in understanding of uh, river dynamics and uh, really good flood defense schemes being kind of affordable and, and government and heavy government investment in them. And so there's been a, a series of substantial government investments in river flood defenses. And what that's done is it's massively reduced the amount of, of river flooding uh, and the, the impact of river flooding. And I think it, it used to be at the kind of there's, I think back in 2015, 16 floods in the UK, for example, there were more properties affected by flooding than were defended by flooding. So I think it was, whereas um, now it tends to be massively skewed towards being defended. So there's been a, such a substantial change in the number of properties being protected from flooding during major kind of uh, heavy rainfall events. And and so we've become so much more sophisticated in protecting our major river systems and our coastal flooding. There's still a lot of work to be done. Um, and I think it's really important not to be complacent. But an, another area which is, you know, growing number of climate risk assessments are also enabling us to start planning ahead for rising river levels and coastal flooding due to climate change. And so it's not just that presently, but we're also, we have the tools in place to be able to build resilience to future climate change in both the rivers and the coastal flooding. The challenge with surface water is it because it can happen everywhere, you can't set up defenses everywhere. And also uh, rapid land cover change, but also the fact that climate change is driving more extreme volatile weather. We're going to get more flash floods and more flash floods in areas that we've never previously experienced them. And because of that, it's, it's surface water flooding is the one that actually it's not going to be going away. It's going to be getting a lot worse because it's one that's really, it, it's so dynamic and, and it varies from event to event. And it's also one where traditional methods of risk mapping also struggle to capture it because there's so many assumptions that go into any risk model and with more volatile extreme events, those are always going to be challenged. And so what we do is our technology, we simulate each event as it's approaching using the latest rainfall forecast and the land cover geology elevation and run, run our simulations across the landscape 
and complement it again with that sensor data that we have on the ground with our customers. And doing using those technologies together, we're able to then provide very tailored localized flood predictions, which are specific to each storm as it's approaching. That's superb. So one thing is for you guys to be able to do that, you have to partner with others, right? And I think it's going to be very important for me also to highlight um, the device you use as uh, we release this um discussion around what the device looks like and how the device capture the information as it goes and help predict, prevent, and create the warning so that people can take better decisions. But Jonathan, when you look at uh, the way you're building your platform and your activities, you need partnership. You need to build your own digital ecosystems. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how you collaborate with others to create something which is super unique out there? Sure, you know we we um, we absolutely uh, do need those partnerships, Sabine. You know, uh, you know, for us, it, it's uh, it's a, it's across the piece as well. So we're already partnering with insurers. So uh, we have partnerships in place with um, the likes of Zurich and, and Liberty, uh, where they're going out uh, introducing us to their customers, so we can help support their customers. Generali is another one where who's doing a great job on that front. And then also we have other insurtech. So people like uh, Geosite, uh, who uh, we're delighted to recently announce uh, our, our partnership with them, GWT Insights, uh, in terms of their smart building uh, tech that they have. So yeah, those partnerships are, are, are really key. And, and, and for us, we kind of see ourselves as being part of a jigsaw. <laughs> we're not the whole jigsaw, but we're just an important piece in that jigsaw. And so, you know, some really interesting partnerships that we 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 have uh, are sometimes with uh, uh, with uh, existing platforms who have a range of uh, a range of services on there already to do with with flood and other um, uh, other catastrophes. Uh, and what we do is we we literally are just plugging that gap around surface water flooding. So they'll already have river, coastal flood, et cetera, but they, they know that they've got a gap in, 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 uh, in surface water. And, and in other instances, we are taking a, 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 a role of actually trying to bring together um, uh, other, other organizations to work with us for a client. So we have a situation with a, a large industrial property company who asked us, to sort of take the lead and, and bring in uh, risk engineers to come and look at the do flood risk assessments and then also to bring in uh, flood defense companies who could then provide the the flood defenses so so yeah we we try to be as supportive in that uh, in that partnership piece as we possibly can you know where 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 it makes sense for us to take a lead we're happy to do that but similarly where we simply act as a as a support mechanism to some another partner taking the lead that's great and, and to your point about the ecosystem the more that can grow and develop the better because there is so many opportunities that we see out there to collaborate and to and and, and create something where the, the whole is definitely better than the sum of the parts that's super i would love actually jonathan for you to highlight an example you've shared with me in the past, which is understanding really the challenge for small businesses around flooding. And now I know you can actually get back a business together in three days, but I remember some of the numbers you shared with me around some of those businesses and the losses 
coding can create for a business which is not well prepared or insured against. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's a pretty staggering stat that actually exists in both the UK and the US, which is forty uh, percent of businesses never reopen after a flood. That's small, small and medium sized businesses. So you know that's just a huge amount. Uh, and and you think in ESG terms, you know, most people think about you know flooding from an E point of view, the environment. But actually, this is where flood has a massive impact on the social side. If you're a community and you lose 40% of your small businesses, imagine what that does to that community in terms of ripping apart the employment situation there. Council will suddenly lose income. So the council in turn won't be able to provide the sort of services and support that it would normally do so. So it's a, it's a really huge issue. Um, you know, and, and, and build on that as well is that that um, you're nine times more likely to suffer mental health issues uh, having uh, been through a flood as well. You know, for a small business owner, it's a huge thing. So you've got this massive risk of, of losing your business. You've got a massive risk, risk of, of having some serious mental health uh, challenges. And then, you know, as I say, there's the, there's the whole community piece as well. The average flood loss uh, in the UK here, according to the ABI, is around about £70,000. You know, for a small business, seventy thousand pounds worth of loss is is brutal, and hence why again it's a, it's a it's a really big deal. And these businesses, you know, if you get hit by a flood, uh, it's not unusual to be out of be not you can't start your business again for another maybe four, five, six months. So that business interruption loss again, really, really significant. Yeah, yeah, I can see that, Avi. Give us some top tips. So I know you have a framework you shared with us earlier, right? With four step around understanding, developing resilience measure and um, developing flood action plan. And then fourth, delivering or being aware of early warnings. So if you were going to look at two different communities, people out there with houses, which may actually suffer from surface water flooding and the insurance companies you're working with and companies you may work with in the future. What are your top tips for our community? Um, so uh, I think uh, you, you correctly outlined there's, there's lots of different people who who can use this in very different ways. Um, and, and so I think a few general principles is, is on being aware of the existing flood risk data out there. So again, uh, most government portals do provide uh, their their flood risk assessments for free, and those are really useful for again to help people raise awareness. I think insurers often have some really detailed insights that aren't always available to the customer, and I do think the customers would massively benefit from more kind of sight of some of those risk assessments. And I think, especially on the commercial side, a lot of insurers are increasingly starting to to notice that and actually use that effectively. So I think it's, it, again, that in terms of understanding the risk, understanding where you can get really good risk information, the fact that if you need to, you can carry out a detailed site survey. Obviously, that, that's more on the commercial side where that can be really valuable. And then on, on the kind of the flood action plan and flood defences, there's some, you know, there's a lot of good new technologies out there. One, I think it's really important to note that there's still on the news as such an emphasis on sandbags. Whereas actually sandbags are quite widely been disproven as they're, they're really ineffective. And there's some really easy, low cost technologies out there, floodgates. Um, there's uh, kind of inflatable sandbags. There's non-return valves. So there's far 
better tools and sandbags at preventing flood. Um, and and actually, even if you don't have any defences at all, and I certainly wouldn't recommend this or put this on any insurance policy document, but even everyday items like duct tape, like Wellington boots, so uh, putting uh, kind of uh, a table in Wellington boots, moving stuff off the ground, is that sort of stuff that can actually make a, a, a massive difference at the property level. And so you don't actually, you, investing in proper flood defences is really valuable, but at a household, if you're if you don't have a budget for it and you don't if you're actually not that, that high risk even understanding that actually even with a little bit of duct tape you could actually probably save a lot that i think that's really important to be aware of and then in terms of kind of the flood action plan i think it's really important to understand that there are kind of no regrets actions you can take and then come kind of more more substantial decisions and especially for a, a business with a flood warning Informing the team and just checking that everyone is aware that there's an incident expected later in the day helps everyone be prepared and understand what they will need to do. That's a sort of a no regrets action. Checking how many cars are in the car park and understanding where you might need to move them to is a no regrets action because it doesn't really affect your day-to-day -day operations and it just helps you massively be far more prepared when the event occurs. Obviously, shutting down your entire store um, spending a few uh, hours setting up defences, that is a far more substantial decision that, again, can make such a big difference. But at least it is really important to help people understand that you don't always have to rush to that decision straight away, especially if it's um, if it's just a, a minor alert. So there's, it's really important just to, to bear in mind that there's so much that you can do even with very little effort. And I think that's important for members of the public to understand but also insurers to understand and in, in how they support their customers to say, you know, there's, there is an elevated risk of flooding today. And um, these are things that you should be aware of. Um, and obviously these are things you could do as the event, you know, really is approaching. So I think there's, there's different action you can take based on different levels of severity of that warning. Super. You know what? When I arrived in the UK, I didn't realize why I needed my Wellington boots. But I promise you, <laughs> I bought my pair and I love them. <laughs> Excellent. So to go toward the end of our discussion, Jonathan, I would love for you to tell us how big is the team? What are your plans for the future and where we can find Brevisico today? So, uh, yeah, the, the team uh, is now uh, getting up to uh, 26 people, uh, which is great to see. Uh, and, you know, we're continuing to grow the business, uh, uh, both in terms of the, the team as well as uh, in terms of uh, uh, the, 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 the scope of what we're doing. So to that point is that we very much focused on the UK to start off with. But uh, at the end of last year, we launched in the US. So um, uh, we're now providing service uh, from kind of Boston down to Washington, D.C. And, and then uh, expand the service out from there. Uh, and and uh, we've also just had our first order for Italy. Uh, so uh, we're looking forward to, to starting to uh, to work in uh, in mainland Europe as well, which is which is great. And I think for us, you know, there's so much of our focus is around two core elements about what we do. One is is the accuracy of the service. So our absolute obsession is how can we provide uh, 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 the best accuracy we possibly can, and and we know that. 
you know, there's certain things that are in our control and out of our control. So one of the things out of our control is weather forecasts. So we're always looking for the best weather forecast provider. Uh, and then similarly, also, the other thing is around sort of local conditions. So right now, you know, we don't know if a drain is blocked. Uh, and so if we can find out uh, where those uh, locations are, where there is a tendency for a drain to block and be able to put in things like our sensors, then that's a, a really fantastic way for us to help improve on that front. And then there are various things around the performance side as well. We see, you know, the fact that we're currently um, producing a, a forecast at 25 meter resolution. We're looking to drive that down to 10 meter resolution. We're producing a forecast every three hours. We'd love to speed that up. So it's not just every three hours, it's getting down to every hour. So these are all the areas where we are just really focused uh, in terms of providing the very best warnings that we can to help people mitigate those losses. Thank you. Avi, last word for you. Where can we find you? Um, so you as a team. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we've got two main offices, one in Loughborough, one in London. Um, so we're often in London, but in terms of you know, people reaching out, you can find us on LinkedIn or uh, by, by email. So info at previsico.com. You can check out our website and request a demo. Um, so really, really delighted to kind of, as, as we said, looking for more partners, um, more, more people to join our team. Um, and, and so again, if you're interested in learning a little bit more, we'd be delighted to talk to you. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Javi. I think it's going to be important for people to be more aware around the danger and the risk of flood. This is not going to subside. That is going to increase whether man-made or weather related. So thank you for your time and looking forward to seeing you very soon. Thank you, Sabine. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Sabine VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine Van der Linden. Thank you.